Hello, everyone. Welcome to a new episode of One Vision. Joining us today is our good friend and executive director of Venture Center, Wayne Miller. Welcome to the show today, Wayne. Hey, thanks, Theo. Thanks, Bradley. Great to be on here with you guys today. Thanks for having me. Uh, we are good friends, huh? Then this is way overdue. Um, before we start, though, can you tell our listeners a little bit about Venture Center and the great work that you and your team are doing down there? Sure. We're, uh, as you know, we're headed, headquartered in Little Rock, Arkansas, which uh, some people question, you know, why, why there of all places. And uh, it's sort of interesting when you look at the state of Arkansas and the level of sort of entrepreneurial DNA that exists in that state where, of course, the largest retailer in the world was founded, the largest trucking company in the world was founded, and, of course, the largest a producer of proteins in the world was found. And of course, I'm speaking about Walmart, J.B. Hunt, and Tyson, respectively. But also, what most people don't know is I like to make the joke that it took 1,968 years to create the first fintech. And that, of course, was uh, Systematics, which was founded in 1968. So we, we talk about that as well. But we are, uh, we're a nonprofit. We're, we're seven years old. We're a team of about eight. Um, our mission focuses really around giving entrepreneurs a place to start from ideation through scale. Uh, the three pillars of our mission are about education, collaboration, and acceleration. And I think we'll talk more about those things today. Uh, we produce about 90 community programs a year. A um, couple, three to 4,000 people come through the Venture Center. Of course, over 5,000 virtually in this year. And of course, our two accelerator programs supporting FIS and the ICBA respectively and helping to really uh, kind of mold the future of FinTech. So, so when you you think about you know sort of what what we've learned about the venture center, um, we share that same philosophy. I would say, and that innovative ideas can be found anywhere, and that we need to do more to promote innovation beyond just you know California and the East Coast, New York and you know Silicon Valley. So, so let's talk a little bit more about you know Little Rock and the connectivity that you have there. And, and how this model can be replicated in other places, because we're seeing that, right? And, and now we're seeing everybody sort of move because, you know, given the last nine or 10 months, why do you have to be, you know, in Silicon Valley? So let's talk about, you know, what else is going on in Little Rock? Well, you know, such a, such a big topic, Bradley, and, 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 and absolutely it can be replicated anywhere. You know, it, you know, it, it takes some, some components. Uh, you know, one of the things about Arkansas that makes the work that we do fundamentally easier is the access that we have to people who can be impactful. And that starts with the governor and really goes down from there, the legislator, et cetera. You know, part of our funding for the Venture Center comes through a legislative grant for accelerator programs, right? So there's an example of how the state government has stepped up and said, hey, if you can demonstrate how this can have a positive economic impact on our, on our state and our community, our workforce, et cetera, we're helping to fund some of that effort, right? We get the ICBA and FIS respectively to help support that as well. But we also have a lot of sponsorships within our communities, but you know, it really gets down to that. Um, you know, I think it's wonderful that in the last couple of years, even, even pre COVID, how the value of good companies, no matter where they are, is resonating more with the typical investor that we might see in, on the coasts. Right. And, and I appreciate that. I raised capital back in, in the late 90, late 99, late 90s and early 2000s. And I remember going to the West Coast to pitch for a business that I had in, in D.C. And they were like, we, we love what you're doing, but if you move out here, we'll be happy to fund you. 
And of course, I didn't want to pick up a team of 60 and make that move. It was sort of unreasonable. I don't think those circumstances would be the same today. And, and maybe some of that's just simply due to technology, our capacity to communicate as effectively as we do through things like Zoom, obviously the phone, et cetera. So I think those things matter. Um, I, I do think that also there are, you know, we, we've been able to refine our methods and our methodologies and our approaches to making uh, businesses scale and, and, and become successful more rapidly, right? So we can get from seed to scale, I think, in a more rapid fashion than we have historically done that. Um, I, I also think that just the, the, the investment community and also people, you know, I, I, I laugh in the beginning of the year, I remember reading an article in Forbes about how this next decade, the decade of, the, of 2020, was going to define how we work and work from home. I think that happened in the first three months of the year, you know, as, as COVID hit. So I'm looking to hire people right now at the Venture Center, for example, and I'm thinking, you know, and, and I'm the guy that, that that wants everybody on premise. But I'll tell you, I, 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 I'm a convert, obviously, because of COVID. But the point is, is that, um, you know, we see companies today, Digital Onboarding is a company that came through our program, for example, who doesn't have a home office. They exist virtually, right? And, and it's interesting, when they were raising capital pre-COVID, they were having some trouble because they didn't have that. Post-COVID, they can't get, they, they, they're turning money away, right? So it's, it, it is, there, there's been a lot of philosophical changes, but, but I also think too, is that you've got to have a community that's supportive, that cares. It's not always about jobs. It's also about opportunity and education and what we, what, how we level the playing field for some of those that don't have uh, the access as, as strong as, as others do. And that obviously gets to people of that's the diversity and inclusion issue, which I'm sure we'll chat about a little bit. Um, the other thing too is, you know, we're now being say, so where do you want to work from? It's not about working from home, it's about working from anywhere, right? So Arkansas is pretty cool. It's got a very low cost of living. Um, it is referred to as the natural state because the outdoors and the opportunities there for people who enjoy that sort of behavior, hiking, fishing, hunting. Uh, mountain biking, uh, whatever it might be, uh, is, is, is extraordinary. You know, we, we laugh about that. We talk about having traffic in Arkansas, but for where I come from, they, they don't, they don't, it's congestion at best. It's like a bad cold, you know, and, and, and the other thing too is, is, is great people, right? Make a difference too. And, and the, that access that I talked about is, is really starts with people whose attitude is about how can we get it done? not how, how how we can't get it done, right? The, the first, ad, it's a very can-do-ish attitude. And I've, and I've loved that because it's so much about let's sit down now and try to figure out how we move you forward instead of kind of have your girl call my girl, let's do lunch sort of an attitude, right? It's just a different perspective. So it gets back to that access. The last thing too is, you know, look, if, and my, my team, we believe this, you know, if we do the good work, good things happen, right? It's not about getting the credit. It's about getting the work done and trying to make the world a better place. And, you know, um, if you build a good business first, right, people have to buy what you're selling. I say it a lot. If they don't, you don't have a business. But if you have a good business, money will find you. But you have to have, uh, you've got to be able to demonstrate that people love and want to buy what you're selling, right? Um, the Venture Center, as you all know, is never really, and our programming focused a lot on helping people raise capital. We do that more now than we ever have, but that's because people have been attracted to us because of the quality of the work that we're doing in the companies that come through. But um, we've always believed that if we help people raise customers, that raising capital becomes an easier path. <music>
I, I like that. And a lot of that resonates, um, comes down to people, comes down to the community, comes down to what you're trying to do, right? Not so much so what college you went to, which is very refreshing when it comes to looking at what the startups are doing. And we have a few of our favorites from your cohort, um, obviously. So we are a little bit biased, but that's okay. Um, so speaking of that, curious, it's been a few years since you moved down to Little Rock. Um, and started the program, what are some of your more memorable moments? And looking back, right, um, we talked a little bit about on-premise versus remote work. What else would you have changed knowing what you know now? You know, uh, great, great question. I, I, I uh, you know, I, I don't mean to say this to, to be, to be uh, casual about it, but you know, when you work with entrepreneurs, there's every moment, some degree is memorable. I mean, it's just, I'm so inspired by people who have the courage to start new businesses, by the people who truly want to change the world, the people who wake up one day and say, this is broken. I'm going to fix it. Right. I, I just, uh, th those, those are all memorable moments for me. The other thing too is, you know, it's, if I asked you and Bradley, you know, which of your children are the favorite, that's a hard question to answer. Right. And I've always sort of felt that way about the, the, the fintechs and, and for the, and for the people who come through our community programming as well. Um, so, you know, I think, one of the things that I've really come to recognize is that there really aren't any bad ideas. It really is about execution and really being respectful of that. And, and I've, I've learned that in working with some VCs in my life, et cetera, that it's, it's really worth taking time to listen to almost everything because in there is likely some sort of a gem, but maybe you just need to tap on the rudder to make it go three degrees in a different direction for it to really work. Right. I mean, God, there's so many examples, right? Airbnb and so forth. Right. Um, secondly, I think one of the great things that's happened is very naturally with the Venture Center, we have always been very conscientious as it relates to diversity and inclusion, but so much of that as it's existed at the Venture Center has happened naturally. It's happened organically. Our last Spark cohort is such a good example of that. We, we don't go out with a lens saying, we want to make sure we have X number of people here. We don't have ratios. We don't have scale for that, et cetera. We go out and try to find great jockeys and great horses, right? We want to find great businesses, but also people who lead them well. Um, and, and, and I think what has been delightful is the way in which that has occurred very naturally. This last Spark cohort we had, which is a, one of our community pre-accelerators, was entirely women, uh, men of, of, of black and brown uh, culture, right? And, and so that, that was just, and that, just the way it happened, right? And, our last two pitch and pints in, in Arkansas were won by one by black women, right? I mean, and, and these aren't these aren't conscious decisions. We pay attention to this, but it's always been the way we've performed. Our our, our fintech cohorts have historically had thirty percent women, uh, which, as you know, there just simply aren't enough women in fintech. Um, and and these are these are wonderful, powerful women who are doing extraordinary things. So, you know, I think that's been very memorable to me and continues to, to, to resolve itself in that fashion. And, uh, and again, it, it, it's, it's been, it's been more organic. Um, I don't, I don't know that I, I would change much, Theo. I, I think what I'm happy about is that we continue to get better at this. And the reason that we do is that we are open to receptive to vulnerable to the feedback that we need from people like you and Bradley and others that we engage with. It's just, how do we continue to do what we do better? How do we maintain our relevance for our clients, for our community, and for the stakeholders and the people that support us? And, and to me, that's 
that's the thing I would never change because I, I believe we have built that into the culture of the Venture Center. And, and the last point is, is, you know, it's all about having the right team. You know, I mean, with the right team, you, you can genuinely accomplish anything. I am uh, just really blessed. I got, I got a great team and, and, and they all just jump in and, and do what needs to be done. Right. And that's, that's definitely a big part of that. So, so let's talk about, you know, the, the, the who you do what with. Um, the, the two programs that you talked about, the one with FIS and the other with ICBA, you know, let's talk about those a little bit first. And then do you have plans to expand into other verticals, you know, beyond financial services? Or, you know, how can we, you know, help um, Venture Center in this idea kind of continue? Where, where else are you going to take it? Well, you know, it's, it's a great question, but I think again, time is interesting. You know, um, so we are, we are fortunate. We're in our, we just finished our fifth year with FIS, uh, with their accelerator. And, and for folks who don't know FIS, uh, pretty much the largest fintech in the world, about 14 and a half billion in revenue, recently bought WorldPay. So deeply embedded in payments, obviously wealth or investment and obviously banking, right? Largest back end of banking in the world. I think 53% of the global market is owned by FIS. About twenty three thousand banks, sixty thousand people or so part of that company, and we 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 play a role in their innovation fabric and helping them trying to find uh, solutions that really kind of feel white space in their development and their and their, and their roadmap, um, and also new tech and new ideas that sort of thing as well. With the ICBA, Independent Community Bankers of America, uh, just a delightful group of people to work with and a great organization. Community bankers are extraordinary people, and and they. Um, you know, many of them are third and fourth generation. They likely have a, a an oil painting in the boardroom, right? And 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 uh, and they're really deeply committed to their communities. And you know, they're really people who are operating small businesses. They just happen to be banks, and they really care about what happens in their community and supporting their community. And look what we have seen with PPP this past year and the role that community banks have played. I, I like to refer to them as to some degree, the ventilators for small business economically in their environments, right? So it's been pretty interesting. We for the for the ICBA, when you look at the average size bank, they're about half a billion. Most of them don't have the opportunity to buy a solution. I mean, to, to build a solution. Right. So so they're, they're buying solutions and working with their cores ultimately to do that. So that, you know, our relationships are somewhat incestual because of the relationship with FIS. We also do work with the other cores as it relates to the ICBA program. But we're trying to help them solve relevant problems. And that's really been where we've started. Um, and I think it's the most important thing that we do is we we don't try to make these decisions about these companies in a vacuum, right? Our objective is to solicit the leadership. Like we have 25 community bankers who sit in our selection committee for the ICBA program. We have probably a hundred people inside of FIS that touch this program in some manner from the standpoint of mentorship, selection, guidance, business case development, use case development, et cetera. So we facilitate this. We do have some expertise internally. My team who leads the accelerators are very strong, got good knowledge here. But that's um that, that that's kind of, that's kind of what that's all about. Um I I think the some some couple of two, three, three years ago, I was worried that the venture center would be perceived as being very one-dimensional related to fintech, right? That that that's all we knew. Obviously, we have our community side, which is very important, all the programming we do there to support entrepreneurs in our in central Arkansas and beyond. And and, and give people that that platform to amplify what they're doing and so forth. But when it came to the accelerators, you know, I was very concerned that people were going to perceive us to be kind of one dimensional. And 
I had an opportunity to, to meet with the chancellor of UAMS, uh, Cam Patterson. And he said to me, do you think you can do for healthcare what you've done for financial technology? And I said, I, I think we can. I actually have about 10 years of experience in medical device. So I'm kind of comfortable with that space and I like it. I like the, and so I said, but look, before, before we start kind of going down that path, I think you ought to take a look at some of the companies that have come through the fintech program to see if they're relevant to some of the needs that we see in healthcare. Anyway, long story short, about a dozen of them were, right? We presented 15. I think two or three of them are actually working with the hospital today, BotDoc, for example, uh, and a couple of others. A lot of it around data, a lot of it around transactions, a lot of it around moving imagery and information, et cetera. That, and the other two is, is security in banks, right, is, is, is probably equivalent to, if not greater than what we expect in the healthcare environment in terms of HIPAA, et cetera. So there's been, there's been that natural connection that's occurred there. We've also seen this in agriculture, which is big to the state. You know, how do we help them be more predictive with data? How do we look at them effectively be able to look at markets? And where I'm going with all this, particularly as we look at this past year, is you and Thea are hearing the words every day. You're hearing about embedded. You're hearing about adjacent. You're hearing about fintechization. I mean, you know, think about everything that we do today and banking as a service, right? So whether it's whether you're buying your groceries or you're going to the doctor's office or you're fueling your car or you're sending your kid to school, everything we do today has fintech embedded in it in some fashion. So, so my thesis at this point is that what we are doing is potentially relevant to every vertical. It's just finding where do we play within those verticals, if that, if that makes sense. Yeah, I, I think it does. I mean, the other thing, you know, to kind of think about, especially for the listeners that are in startups is um, when when you think about your relationship with both FIS and ICBA, you know, you're working to help startups connect with more of the banking industry, right? And we, we work with companies like Bond AI and others that have kind of gone through the program. And I've always told startup founders that, you know, there's there's a lot that you can do within financial services itself to sell directly to banks. But once you start to work with some of these larger ecosystem players, whether it's a core system, digital banking platform, or a, a sort of um, industry group like ACBA, you're enabling you know more institutions to see the benefit of what you are building, and you're, in in essence, you know you're getting a sales team to kind of work with you to be able to connect to even more banks. So, are you seeing that with some of your startups that the way that you know they could really get to more of the industry through these relationships with FIS and ICBA you've been working on? Absolutely. You know, with all due respect to the hard work that we do and, and, and the hard work that everybody at FIS does and the ICBA respectively, one of the things that we treasure and we cherish at the Venture Center in our relationships is the access that we have to really these two distribution channels, 4,700 community banks and 23,000 banks globally. You know, the Venture Center, if, I mean, some of those are combined because obviously some of FIS's clients, many in fact are community banks. But the point is, is that, you know, we are fortunate. We have line of sight to close to 30,000 banks globally. And, you know, there's, and I know you guys know this from working with, with startups, but many of these startup organizations are, are trying to position themselves that they need to build a, a sales force, right? And, and, you know, I always ask them, you know, how, how do you build your company without a sales force, right? How else would you do that? What are the other platforms or approaches that you can find? 
And clearly it's, it's the difference between the one-to-one versus the one-to-many. And, you know, one of the big values of our program, just from a feedback perspective is, you know, the FIS program this past year enabled these, these 10 startups to, to, to communicate with nearly 385 bankers over a 12 week period to get feedback on their solutions. Right. If I said to you and Theo, Hey, here's a little bit of money, go out and meet with, you know, uh, with, I don't know, 120 banks and, you know, nearly 400 C-level executives over a 12-week period. I don't know. I don't want to say it's impossible, but it sure as heck would be difficult. It would be a challenge for sure. I mean, the value of that's extraordinary. The other thing too is FIS and the ICBA get to see how their clients uh, react to this because we're not, we're not doing, this isn't a sales environment we've created. It's a, it's, it's, we've tried to create a very safe environment for both the banker and the fintech. To, to really collaborate on the future of fintech together, and and so that that's that's definitely been been uh, you know a, a big positive as, as it relates to that. So I, I think that answers your question. I I like that. I mean, I, I remember the first time when we were talking about your program. That was one thing that struck me because a lot of there are no lack of accelerated programs in the country, right? But most of them, they play out and say, oh, you know, we have relationship with, I don't know, 100 some banks. But if you go to the gist of it and how they run the program, a lot of these startups, they don't really have access to these banks, right? It, it's, it's more like a logo play than anything else. But you guys do it differently. I've seen you run the programs literally face-to-face having those people embedded in the venture center with your startups cohorts and going through all the gist of what is your business model, what are you trying to do and all of that, it's of immense value to the startups. And that was one thing that we really like about how you run it. And it provides value, like you say, between both parties, creating a safe environment for them to collaborate together and innovate together. Um, So when it comes to what our country and our world has been through, the last, uh, I don't know, nine, 10 months and what have you, I'm losing count. Um, has that changed that culture that you have created, how you bring people together to exchange ideas? What will the future model look like? Given, you know, that that is literally the bread and butter of how you're able to facilitate information exchange. Yeah, I mean, you know, I, I mentioned earlier that you know, I was always pretty prickly about having people on the ground in Little Rock for 12 weeks. And, and there are reasons for that. And there, and I think they're valid reasons. One is, you know, historically, that's where the banks were. So if you wanted to meet with the banks, you needed to be in Little Rock, right? Secondly, um, you know, the state does play a role uh, from a financial perspective in what we do. And, and we we don't put a gun to people's head about moving to Arkansas, but we'd sure like to show them around and show them the great value of the state. And as I like to say, teach them to eat a little catfish and say y'all. So uh, there is there is a lot to be seen there, and, and you know there's great things happening in Central Arkansas and Northwest Arkansas, and, uh, and it is a great place to live. Um, and, but the last thing, and this is the hard part, is that the cohorts don't get the opportunity to rub shoulders, and and those you know sort of creative collisions is the term that's often used, that, that and the things that happen between them. You know, each of them brings a certain level of expertise. You know, some of them are great at marketing, some of them are great at finance, some of them are great at technology. And the natural uh, interaction that happens when they're together for that 12 weeks in Little Rock is extraordinary. They, uh, you know, they, they fall in love. They, 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 they go out to dinner. They, they 
do all the things that, that we would expect. And they share ideas, they support each other, they, they, they share concepts. So it, that, that has been very difficult to, to do in this virtual environment. On the other hand, these are people who are operating businesses on a day-to-day basis. So the, the, the daily demand from them working virtually is probably a little bit easier. Um, we're obviously, we've been able to expose them to really three times the number of bankers from a feedback perspective. Typically, we had about 50 to 60 banks, about 120 people come. And that's because those are the people who get an airplane and fly down, right, and spend time in Little Rock. Um, and Little Rock's you know, a little tough to get to. Once you're there, it's super easy because we're only five minutes from the airport and all that kind of good stuff. But getting there can be usually two flights, depending on where you're coming from. We'd love to see that change. But, you know, Theo, to answer your question or get to the root of it, you know, um, I don't see a day moving forward because I'm converted, right? I, 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 I do see the, the immense value of doing this virtually and how we can get more people exposed, really increase the data sets, give them more exposure. Uh, so I don't see a day where even when we return to being able to assemble and, and go back to Little Rock, that it will necessarily be a 12-week program on-prem. The timing may remain the same, but there will be a hybrid component to everything that we do. I don't see a bank meeting with a company if it's live, if it's face-to-face where there's not a feed for them to be able to get the six or eight people back at their branch or their home office involved as well. So I think we're going to build, we're going to bolt that on to everything that we're doing, you know, and, and, but, but to the earlier point that you made, I, I still struggle with the cultural aspect of this and how to make that work. And, um, you know, we try to do happy hours and feedback sessions and, subject matter expert sessions and all those things on Zoom as well for them. But but look, it, we're, we're gonna get through this and we will get back to that to some degree. And and, and it is, it, it's been hard for me to sustain the culture of the Venture Center. I mean, we have a 30 minute call every meeting, every morning on the team. We've been doing that literally since I think 13 March. And, uh, you know, it, it's optional, but everybody's there every morning, you know, cause we, we kind of like to see each other and need to see each other and those sort of things. So I don't know, it's, it's, uh, certainly open to people's recommendations and suggestions where we try to make the, the, we try to bring the real and the virtual together in some fashion. And that's, that's been, uh, that's been a challenge. Yeah, I, I, I will personally attest to it because I remember I spent a few days with your team, uh, one of the cohorts last year. And um, we, it was amazing to see the bond between all the founders in that cohort, how they joked together, they were doing things together, they were going for a bike ride together. They they were they became buddies. And yeah. it was amazing to see. I don't think I've ever seen that in any of the other cohorts run by any other accelerators, because oftentimes people are in and out, they treat the center more like um, I don't know, temp office for meetings rather than actually being together. And I, I think there's a lot of benefits to it. To your point, each founder brings different experience. They bring different backgrounds and they can help each other out. I think that network that you have been able to build in Little Rock is of immense value. And, and it's amazing. Just want to say kudos to you for that. Thanks. It's, it's all them. You know, I, 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 I do, I do struggle a little bit. I'm always challenged about how to continue to add value to our alums, you know, 
because we have, you know, we're, we're, we got 70 alums now. We're working on our 80th, you know, our, our eighth cohort. And, and uh, I mean, that's some critical mass and, and, and just a bunch of brilliant people, right? And courageous people. And, and uh, so also very open to ideas about what we can do to do that better. I, uh, uh, we're working on it. And, 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 you know, look, they're busy. They're busy building businesses, right? And, and, and taking them to where they, they, where, where they want to take them and so forth. But uh, yeah, I mean, what's interesting about your comment too, just to add to that is, that was the first weekend they were together too at Mount Magazine. And so we do that retreat for that purpose is to give us a chance to get to know each other and to bond a little bit. And, and I'd say it's always successful. We come away with uh, always some great stories and a few laughs. And uh, we also figure out who the not so great people are too. But anyway, that's, that's part of the process, right? Well, let's 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 go from there to sort of more future and think about you know where the cohort grows from here. We're seeing a lot of movement, of course, in fintech into um, more big tech, right? So, so we see the Amazon, the Googles, and Apples, and others kind of jumping into the space, and a lot of um, sort of underneath the hood, behind the scenes, banking as a service stuff being built outside of fintech. Uh, you talked earlier about fintech startups and healthcare. Uh, the dynamics are going to change between you know fintech players and what fintech is. Where do you see you know, sort of the the type of technology, the type of startups and business ideas sort of going from here? What's what's the future of fintech and in, in the way that ICBA will sort of be running along with it? Well, you know, my crystal ball is my bowling ball now because it has much better use. But 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 I'll, I'll do my best. You know, I, I do think. What I can do is reflect a little bit on some of the things that I think we've all seen over the last sort of five to eight years. You know, I mean, you know, I forget who said it. But I think it was somebody from Andreessen Horowitz who said, you know, fintech's going to, no, I think it was the guy who was the president of the city who said, you know, fintech's going to eat our lunch, right? Well, it didn't happen, did it? And, and, and not, not to be uh, critical, but, but more from an observation perspective, you know, the word that's, that is key, and, and, I, and I use it a lot, and people make fun of me because I use it so much, it's collaborative. We have to be collaborative. And, and I think that is what is driving this, and we've seen that. Um, big tech, uh, big retail. I mean, you know, a lot of them look a lot like banks, right? I mean, I mean, I don't know the last time you walked into a Walmart and looked at the customer service area, but you can send money. You can, I mean, there's virtually all the, all the retail banking, uh, facilities that you need are really in front of you there. But most of these organizations, big organizations, big companies, big tech still need a bank in the background. The other thing too is that many of them, the bank, you know, we look at companies like FIS and Pfizer, et cetera, who are managing the cores for, you know, the, the banks in this country and, and, and internationally, the data still rests with them. So really, I think a couple things, Bradley. One is that I think consumers are going to drive this. Um, I think, you know, it's, it, you know, such a great example, sort of embedded fintech, right, is Google's new mapping app is going to have a parking capacity, right? So it's going to tell you where to park. So once you get that, you'll also be able to pay for your parking, right? So there's fintech being embedded into an application like a map that enables me, you know, it's more it's more WeChat, right? It's more being on a single platform that enables me to do a lot of things. And I think that's what we're looking for. So I think consumers will continue to drive that. Clearly adoption, particularly in an older population as it relates to COVID. I mean, how many people that do you know that are over 60 that, that bought groceries online before March, right? And now how many are doing it? Because one, it's safer, two, it's easy. And three, we, we figured some of this stuff out. So that adoption has been key. So I think they will, I think consumers will, will drive a lot of this. 
The other thing too is, is the regulatory agencies play a huge role in this, right? I, I don't know that they should be handing out bank charters to Amazon and to, and to Google, et cetera. I, I don't know that I'm necessarily in favor of that. I'm not sure I know enough to answer that question entirely. I do think we want to preserve the banks. I, I also think consumers do trust the banks. Uh, and I, and I think, I think they trust them perhaps more than Amazon and more than Google, et cetera. Um, but, uh, you know, how we all come together, and I have the privilege because of our nonprofit status to to, to uh, get in front of a lot of the regulators and listen to what they're doing. And I will tell you more than ever, you talk about a can-do attitude. They are really trying to figure this out and, and trying to make sure they do their very best to serve, you know, all the stakeholders in, 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 this, in this arena. But it is collaboration that will rule the day here, and we'll figure out how to do that, and we are. And so I think the future for fintech and for how we operate is extraordinarily bright. I think that uh, our capacity to invest more effectively uh, and, and make our money work better for ourselves, I think our access to capital, our access to money, I think it's starting to, to bleed deeper and deeper into areas where people are underbanked and unbanked. I think that's really starting to present itself. I think that the, the political events of this past year have driven investors to think a lot more about that. And it's unfortunate that it took some of these events for those things to occur. But now they're, they're throwing a lot of money at, uh, at, at concepts and ideas that, that are, are, are making those, those opportunities more available to people and to help them improve the quality of their life. Listen, there's, there's no worse place to be in the world. It's very expensive to be poor in the United States, right? Um, so we, I think we can, we're going to, we're going to get on a trend to fix some of that, um, healthcare, you know, we talked about that and, and, and the application of data and, and just so many things. I mean, look at insurance. I mean, this concept now of you pay for what you need not to, but, but, you know, I love this commercial on TV where the guy lives on the Island and he goes and gets a loaf of bread and comes home and sees that his insurance charge today is a dollar and two cents, right? Cause he's, he's paying for insurance on a, on an as needed basis instead of an annual, you know, deal. So this this all this stuff i i think ultimately is the consumers we're going to win and we're going to be better and smarter and uh and, and we're we are going to vote with our wallets i think so some some perspective there no I, I like that i think just recently i saw a big um insurance company in the united states that have created a sort of partnership platform that are onboarding different fintechs and insurance techs and say you know, hey, we want to collaborate with you guys. Let's make this easy. It was the first time ever since I, I, I saw a very traditional insurance player coming out and say, let's work together. So that that's pretty cool. I, I do believe that the future is bright. Um, let's hope we can get through the challenges from COVID crisis and um, let's bring people back together. And we look forward to seeing you again in, in person as been, it's been a very strange year. Um, yeah. <laughs> but anyway, thank you so much for joining us on the show today, Wayne, and thank you all for listening in to another episode of One Vision. We'll talk to you next week.